Hey everyone, if you're a licensed therapist and you listen to this podcast, this announcement is for you. I'm excited to announce that I will be starting August 1st, a coaching group for therapists who are interested in further development of their clinical skills, their business skills, and balancing their personal life. This group will start August 1st, 2020 and go through November 30th, 2020. We'll be having lots of discussion about different topics that we may face in the work that we do, how to handle things as a therapist, how to work with challenging clients, and how to help our clients make progress. Over the 26 years of my professional career, I've had a lot of opportunity to counsel new therapists or therapists who are finding their niche or changing direction or wanting to expand themselves in multiple ways, professionally and personally. It's one of the things I love to do, working with other professionals. I often get asked from therapists outside of my clinic and outside of my state how they can work with me, and here's your chance. For more information, go to my Facebook page, Jackie Pack Coaching, or email me at Jackie at JackiePack.com. I'd love to work with you and have you be part of our professionals group. Hi everyone, welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. With this being the month of July and the celebration of the 4th of July and Independence Day here in the United States, this month some of the podcasts are going to be a little bit more political in nature than is typical for Thanks for Sharing. Now I will say that I think for me the topic of politics really comes down to how we live with each other in community. And so for me politics isn't about being Democrat, being Republican, how we vote, although that's a part of it, but instead really looking at how do we as human beings live with each other and what are the rules and the policies and the laws that govern best living together. So this month I'm going to be talking about politics. With this episode, I wanted to release an episode that I recorded and published last July in which I talked to my brother, who is a United States congressman, just about politics and really kind of where we get lost in politics and maybe just bringing us back to the basics when it comes to politics. So I hope you'll enjoy this. I think also as we study human behavior, which I've been studying human behavior for a couple of decades now, and I think as we understand ourselves, as we understand other people, we tend to be more informed politically and we tend to be better informed when we go to the polls and vote. So I hope you'll listen to this episode and listen to the episodes this month. Now on to the episode. This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. Today on the podcast, I'm going to start out a little bit differently. So I'm going to first introduce our topic, and then I'm going to introduce our guest. And I've been thinking for a while about doing some podcasts in July that have some relevance to politics. Some of you may be rolling your eyes about that. Some of you may be thinking that you want to skip over this episode. I get it. Uh, Right now, I think in the United States and in many countries in the world, politics are scary for a lot of people. They're overwhelming for a lot of people. They make a lot of people angry. 
And that's partly why I want to do a podcast on this. I think in the intro to Thanks for Sharing, we talk about how Thanks for Sharing is a podcast for all things recovery, healing, and relationship. And I think that's an important topic to cover. And I think that's something to look at through the lens of politics, to look at recovery and relationships and healing. So I understand when people hear the word politics, you know, there's just going to be a varied reaction. And I talk to a lot of people who are just like, I I don't even want to think about it. Like, I don't watch the news. I don't want to know what's going on. Some, when they hear the word politics, you know, they think of corruption. They think of power. They think of wealth. Currently, I would say there isn't a very positive response to the word politics. And I believe we need to change that. So back in uh, December, I think it was, of 2015, over on the Robcast, which is a different podcast, Rob Bell did a series on politics. I would recommend checking it out. I thought it was very well done. But I wanted to borrow some of his ideas in his first episode in that series on politics. So I'm borrowing from Rob Bell. He said that the word politics has its roots in Latin and Greek. So polis equals city, politicus or polites means citizen. In the old French, it's politique with a Q-U-E on the end. And it means of or for or relating to the citizens. So politics is about the citizens. So then polite is simply the way citizens relate to each other. Now the word metropolis, metro, comes from the ancient word meter, which means mother, and then police equals city. So metropolis is a mother city. Cosmopolitan, not the magazine, cosmopolitan comes from the word cosmos, which means it's an ancient Greek word for the world. That's what cosmos meant, the world. And then politan comes from politis, which again is city. So cosmopolitan means world city. So when we talk about politics, we are talking about the citizens. We're talking about how citizens live together. When we talk about politics, we're talking about how we organize our shared life together because we are all in this together. There is a shared good between us that we all desire. So politics is the process. Uh, Politics is how we organize ourselves for our common good. And if we think about it in those terms, politics is necessary. Like we can't just say, I'm not interested in politics. I don't wanna have to deal with politics Uh, because politics is practical. It's organized around how we live our daily life. And so it impacts us whether we want to be interested in politics or not, it's organizing how we all live together in our communities, in our cities, in our country, in our world, right? Like that is the process. Politics is the process. Now, I think we can say, right, when we go through that history, we can see that politics itself is not a bad word. And it it gets kind of a negative rap or a negative connotation. And I think we need to then talk about, we need to put an adjective in front of the word politics. We need to talk about abuse of politics. That happens. Uh, We need to talk about corrupt politics. That happens. But politics itself, right, is simply the process 
in which we organize how we live our lives. And it impacts all of us, whether we want to realize that or not, because it impacts how our daily life works, right? You think about things like the water that we have in our house for use, right? There's a process in which that is purified or it's uh, gone through to make sure that we're not getting impurities that are dangerous to us, right? Like how our garbage gets collected, how our power is done, right? Like all of these things impact people on a day in, day out life. And I think we've lost some of that perspective on politics because of abusive politics or corrupt politics Right. But that's politics gone off key. Right. That's that's politics gone awry. And so I think what I want to do in these episodes this month on politics, I don't want to do partisan politics. I think that's part of the problem with what we're seeing in our country now and how politics are handled. And I think that's part of the abusive politics, right, is this divisiveness and the way that it tears people apart and can just ruin relationships. Right. So I I don't want to talk about it in a partisan way. So if you're listening, right, like I want to talk about it more in a way of like, how do we as average citizens, right? I'm an average citizen. You're an average citizen. How do we get politics back on track and back the way that it was designed so that it is working for the people and we don't have to throw our hands in the air. We don't have to feel hopeless or angry about politics when we are talking about that and we can have different conversations. I think it might need to be something that is a grassroots, right? From the bottom up, we have to change that. So now let me introduce my guest. I'm excited to have my guest on and I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So our guest today is a former Utah Senator, then ran for Salt Lake County Mayor and became Mayor of Salt Lake County. And then in the last election in 2016, he was elected as a United States congressman. And I think I know him pretty well. We used to share a bedroom wall growing up. And uh, so I'm also happy to say that he's my brother. And so I'd like to introduce our guest, Ben McAdams. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. So I wanted to talk about kind of what we were talking about. You and I have kind of talked a little bit before this recording, just how politics really is for everybody. And at this time in in our countries, particularly in the United States, we seem to be very divisive and we're very much split into kind of a us versus them and whoever, whatever side you're on, right? You're the us. And then the other people fall into the them category and politics isn't best when it's like that. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you about this, number one is because you are working as a United States Congressman, but I wanted to talk about politics in a way that we're talking about, like how do we all come together and how do we make politics work for everybody, or at least most people, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I I guess I would say, first of all, most people who engage politically are going to do it not as an elected official, but as a member of the public, right? Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes uh, we as members of the public have some false expectations of, of our elected officials. We expect, you know, disagreement is bad, and we expect them to never change their mind, or, you know, we want politicians, we want elected officials who will listen and solicit feedback from us, but sometimes when they do and their opinions may evolve and they may, uh, based on that input, change their mind, Mm -hmm. we think that that's a bad thing and we'll call them out for it. And I think I've noticed this in in my 
public service. I think I've always felt that it's important to do public hearings and town hall meetings and to listen to the public. And, and it's an educational process for me. And I see pitfalls and ideas that I've had. I'm willing to change my proposals to uh, evolve in response to the feedback mm-hmm. of the constituents that I've received. And, you know, and ultimately my job right now is representative. And I say that, that that's my job title. It's also my job description. It's to represent right. my constituents. And so listening to them and being willing to, I think, humbly take feedback and input from them and then craft my ideas in response to that is a, a good and noble thing, not uh, something to deride for, right? So right. I wouldn't say one of the things we can do then as a member of the public is engage sincerely and with the goal of educating an elected official and helping them to understand your point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think, that's, I think that's important. The other, I guess, false expectation that sometimes we have as members of the public is we expect when there is disagreement amongst our elected officials that that's a bad thing. Right. And I'm of the belief that the system that was created is an adversarial system. It's one where you have people from strong backgrounds with strong opinions going to hash it out. And those mm-hmm. are debates and those are result in arguments. And, and in many ways, that's to be expected. And that's the way the process is supposed to work. What's broken, I think, is when, when you see the gridlock. And I think Washington is broken today. Mm-hmm. You see gridlock. There's no disagreement, no listening with the goal of finding agreement. And when I've been able to do things that I'm proud of, it's I sit down with somebody with a very different point of view who maybe sometimes even opposed to what I'm trying to do. We sit down, we talk, we listen to each other. And then we come to consensus. Sometimes it's compromise. Sometimes I'm willing to give a little bit on my position mm-hmm. to find middle ground with somebody else. But better than compromise is consensus. When mm-hmm. I see their point of view and realize that there was maybe a gap in my understanding or a gap in my proposal, and they saw it because of their background and their perspective, and I wasn't able to see it, we can fix it. And we can tweak whatever I was working on or proposing to fill that gap that they saw and they were concerned about. And then you have consensus where mm-hmm. we, we both agree mm-hmm. in a modified proposal, new proposal that's better. And I guess one thing I would say is if we're observing this process through the eyes of the public, recognize that you're going to see in through the news media or social media, whatever, you see that disagreement. That disagreement isn't something to be disgusted by unless it's disagreement for the sake of gridlock and right. childish disagreement. Right. But healthy disagreement, mature disagreement is actually a really good thing. That means the process is working as long as we hold our elected officials accountable to ultimately finding common ground and finding solutions. Arthur Brooks is, wrote, has a book that's out right now that I've been reading. And in that book, he says, what we need in, I'm paraphrasing, what we need in, in political life is not less disagreement. What we need is better disagreement. Mm. We need to hold people accountable to disagreeing constructively. They, they have strong opinions. They should vigorously advocate those opinions, but do it in a constructive way with the goal of finding solutions and common ground. So mm-hmm. to, to summarize, I think two misconceptions, we expect people to never disagree and to never change their mind, when in reality, we do want them to disagree just to do it maturely and constructively. And we do want people to change their mind. And let's allow people to have that disagreement. It's Healthy disagreement is not what's broken about our system. It's unhealthy disagreement. Mm-hmm. And a willingness to listen and to modify their uh, ideas and stances is a sign that the system works, not that it's broken. Yeah, I like that. Let's talk, before we, we talk um, some current stuff, 
Let, let's talk a little bit about what brought you into this field, why this was a pathway you chose. Well, I think it probably started, I'm a middle child, right? So <laughs> a classic middle child of, I think, always trying to appease and, and, to, and bring people together. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think that's a skill set that served me well in this line of work, is trying to forge common ground. I also, you know, I think I have an inner desire to, to make the world a better place, to contribute mm-hmm. to my community where I am, whether it's my you know, as a state senator or as a mayor, and now uh, in the United States Congress, it's to to give what I can to making our community better. And uh, my sister is in social work, so mm-hmm. maybe it's something that's innate in our DNA or upbringing, right. the desire to give back. But that's something that does drive me is a desire to make our community a better place. And then I think I found that I have some unique skills that can contribute to that. Yeah. Lately, I, I read an article recently um, where you were quoted in, you know, in Utah, the LDS Church has a pretty solid welfare program um, that's available to members of the church who are in need. And you've lately, I think it was in The Guardian, was it in The Guardian? Something like Something that. Something like yeah. that. You know, they talked about a lot of public representatives don't want to talk about that side and that you've been one who's been open about the fact that our family was on church welfare, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Not necessarily public welfare, but we were on church welfare and and that it actually impacted our family in a way that helped our mom get out of an abusive relationship, kind of get back on her feet as a school teacher with six kids that she was having to support with no guarantee, right, that our dad would offer any support or care about that. Mm -hmm. And so I think Sometimes in politics, we have this idea, like the reason sometimes people roll their eyes is because they think that politics is maybe a game that the elite play, right? Or that it's something outside of the average citizen's reach. And I think one of the things, you know, about you and and there's other representatives and there's other, you know, national leaders who have talked about their story and talked about how that wasn't their path into this leadership, right? And that this isn't necessarily just kind of a game of power that they play. Um, can you say anything just about that and maybe how your background there led to... Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that being now holding several different offices that I've seen, there is that kind of perception, too, that these are elitist, powerful individuals who are in public service. And, and there is some of that, and I think there's too much of that, yeah. right? Where I think I read a comment that was talking about you and your offshore accounts can like, you know, like <laughs> stick it basically, right? And I was yeah. kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah no okay. offshore accounts. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, especially in a legislative body, I think this is some of the magic of American democracy, is we gave a platform for everybody from any walk of life to to contribute. And, mm-hmm. and what I've seen in, you know, as mayor, I was in the executive branch, and that's a little bit different type of service. But in the state Senate and now in Congress, legislative bodies are comprised of people from literally every part of this country, mm-hmm. with probably every presenting almost every perspective in this country, uh, both socioeconomically, ethnically, uh, you know, different histories, different mm-hmm. faiths. And I think that is actually what makes the legislative body strong. When I talked about you know, people who can see around my corners and see gaps in my ideas and my thinking. And if I'm willing to humbly listen and incorporate that, be it Republican or Democrat, our ideas get better. Mm -hmm. And the moments when our country has done amazing things, I think it is because we have that collaborative spirit that we recognize that what's different about us is what makes us strong. You know, so my background, you know, certainly not one of privilege. I, you know, uh, as a child, you, you mentioned this is typical, but in, in divorce and family was frequently or occasionally probably without health care. I remember 
power getting shut off mm-hmm. or water getting shut off at different times or sometimes hours away from doing that and mm-hmm. having to pay the bill that day and some of that scare, being scared as right. a kid not knowing what's happening when somebody comes to shut off mm-hmm. your, I don't remember if it was water or power or both, but, or not having the groceries to, you know, I remember at the end of the month it was rice and butter and right. salt and pepper, you know. I, was, I talk to my kids sometimes about what I ate as a kid and they're just like, that's not even a meal. And I'm like, yeah. it wasn't my house. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when I started, I was in college and I had to work you know, two or three part-time jobs mm-hmm. simultaneously to save up for my tuition and to pay for college. And I started, I, I wanted to go to, decided I wanted to go to law school, but I needed to probably have some extracurricular activities on my resume. My grades weren't bad, but they weren't 4.0. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think largely because I was working so hard and, and, you know, having to squeeze that in on top of school. So my grades were, were okay, but I felt like if I wanted to go to law school, I probably needed to build out my extracurricular and so I decided that I wanted to do, I did an internship in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And I remember then scrapping and saving and, you know, a few tricks that I did. I had to, I had a, a car. I was living with mom and commuting to school. And um, so I needed my car, but I couldn't afford to have a car payment and also uh, sustain myself in Washington. I mm-hmm. refinanced my car for no reason other than when you refinance, you skip a month's payment. <laughs> so it saved me $200. Right. At that point, I also started probably after my internship, and I came back from my internship and started volunteering for a political campaign. And politics doesn't pay well, so the campaign I think probably was three or four dollars an hour. Basically, mm-hmm. I got a, a monthly salary. I think it was like a thousand dollars a month or something, and then I got a, a stipend from a, a grant or something to help pay for that. But it, it equated to probably three or four dollars an hour. So I started uh, donating plasma. Uh-huh, I remember. Yeah. So it would pay $20 each time, but on the fourth time it paid $50. So if you could keep up a pretty good patient, you had to have several days spacing between mm-hmm. it, but I think you'd get two times a week. Right. So it would be, you know, $110 every two weeks. Um, so I would do that. And I liked that because I could actually do my reading and my homework and that uh, while I was hooked up to the right. plasma machine. I remember much later as I was in office and people were asking me my background, uh, sometimes people would say, so you know, what do your parents do? Is, is politics in your blood? And I would kind of <laughs> laugh and say, uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, I think mom and dad voted. Yeah. Maybe not every time, but that was... Mom probably, more than dad, probably. Yeah, that was probably the extent of their political engagement. Yeah. But, you know, I felt like this was a, a place where I could I could give back. I could, I could make a difference. I think my first political experience, though, you took me to volunteer for a candidate who was running... Yeah. Um, I was still in high school. I think you were a couple, you were uh, yeah, four years college, older than yeah. me, so you were in college and took me to volunteer. And I thought it was interesting. You know, I didn't ever envision maybe doing it running for office, mm-hmm. but I guess here I am. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how those paths kind of reach out and grab you, and you didn't necessarily see it coming. So, one of the things I want to tell listeners who probably aren't familiar with you and the work that you've done is, I mean, we do live in a very red state. We're one of the reddest states, right? Utah's a very red state. And when you were first running uh, for county mayor, was it 2012? Yeah. Yeah, so it was a presidential election year, right? And the Republican candidate that year was Mitt Romney. And so he's really popular here in Utah, right? A, A lot of Utahns, even though he hasn't really lived here in Utah, he wouldn't necessarily be a native. 
Um, a lot of people identify with him, I think, just because of his LDS affiliations and feel like he's kind of their guy. And so the other thing in Utah is a lot of Utahns vote straight ticket, right? You can do that in Utah. And so a lot of people just vote straight red ticket. And so I remember as you were, you know, campaigning that year, you realized that you had to get people to cross over. Like even if they voted all red, you needed them to at least cross over and vote blue for you. And, and so I want to talk a little bit about kind of what you learned from that. Now, also, I will add uh, in 2016 when you ran, again, another presidential year, you kind of give me a lot of stress when you do that, but like, so as another presidential year, the Democratic candidate in 2016 was not well liked here in Utah at all. And so again, you were kind of in one of those situations where you were going to have to get, you ran into also a very conservative district. And so you were going to have to get voters to vote for you and cross maybe their typical voting pattern in order to do that. What did you learn through that process and what, I mean, some of that, right, maybe goes into what you've already said, listening and having town hall meetings, but maybe what would you talk about that you don't see happening very much, which keeps people from kind of coming to the center and listening? Well, first of all, so I'm a Democrat, as people probably can infer, but um, I also, I don't like parties. I see them as kind of a necessary evil. When, you ha- when you're running for office, you, you have to pick a party, mm-hmm. probably legally you have to pick a party, but just even pragmatically you have to pick a party to, mm-hmm. to run. And in our country, really, there's two that you have to affiliate with yeah. right now in order to get to that level. For the most part, yeah. right. And so, you know, I, I run as a Democrat. I'm not a dyed-in-the-wool, this, this is my team, this mm-hmm. is my tribe. If you're not on my team, you're bad. If you are on my team, you're good. Because I think they're good ideas in both parties, there are good people in both parties, and there are bad ideas and bad people mm-hmm. in both parties. So, you know, I think the first key for me was to just be authentic and true to who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I, the point that I was running, for example, in 2012, I'd been in the state senate for four years, and you learn pretty quickly there's no position you take in one crowd and a different position in another. Mm-hmm. The world's too small, especially in the age of social media, and everybody has a camera and a phone. You got to be honest. You got to mm-hmm. be true to yourself in every environment. Fortunately, that's who I am. But I felt like you know I needed to be true to myself, and and I think people have a pretty good BS radar mm-hmm. these days that they know if you're not being authentic, and authenticity is what people want. Sometimes they may disagree with you mm-hmm. with your positions too, but if you're authentic and true. I think they like that. So when I ran, I think I ran with that. Uh, some of our I, our tagline in 2012 was "He's different," mm-hmm. and we talked about you know it was everything from maybe a little bit quirky or poking fun at myself or uh, things like that to some policy things. You know, while I am a Democrat, I believe in fiscal responsibility. I think mm-hmm. government should live within its means. That taxes should be the last place of recourse for anything. You should always look to cut or reappropriate funding from other places. So fiscal responsibility was something important to me that maybe differentiated me from some, not all mm-hmm. Democrats and also some Republicans, but not all Republicans. So, right. You know, we talked about that. It was a year where when I was running, people said there's no way that he can win. The area I was running to represent, running to represent about 1.1 million people. Utah is a very red state. The uh-huh. district, Salt Lake County was less red, but still red. And uh, it was the year in which Romney was very popular and expected to win overwhelmingly. And Mm -hmm. he did win the state of Utah. Mm -hmm. He didn't win Mm -hmm. the presidency, but won the state of Utah overwhelmingly. In that same year, almost one out of three people who voted for Romney also voted for me. 
Mm. I like to think that people saw who I was and that I wasn't going to just go and be a representative of either party, but I was going to go and represent Utah first. And mm-hmm. In 2016, I was running for re-election. That was also a year where, you know, presidential years have a certain, probably more partisan nature to it than other years, but people had seen, I think, that I had done a good job. I had pretty good approval ratings and that and was re-elected. So the first year I was elected, a pleasant surprise for me is public service, whether it's state senate. Sometimes people think, and there are elitists, but, you know, from the state senate to local government to Congress, is full of a lot of just ordinary people and ordinary people from both sides of the aisle who want to do good. And mm-hmm. they may have different opinions about what good is and how to do good, but I think there are a lot of good people. And for the most part, accessible people. Mm-hmm. You know, I have open office hours. Now, my time is spread thin and I represent 800,000 people, so I can't meet with every one of them. But we try to make time to meet. I meet with people. This week I met with a college student who was concerned about an issue, you know, met with a group of farmers who were concerned about some issues and you know I think you can your elected mm-hmm. official is approachable and you can meet with them you can engage with them by email social media Twitter I generally I don't respond to every message unfortunately but I try to and or my staff does I would say reach out people are accessible and you can engage with them the other thing I would say is hold your elected officials accountable to a standard Mm-hmm. Now, that standard isn't you agree with me in all cases, and if you disagree, I'm going to burn you to the ground. Mm-hmm. But I think, first of all, I would hold them to a standard of, I've been in Washington now six months and trying to diagnose what's wrong and how to fix it. And I've come to the conclusion, while there are some bad actors on both sides, there are so many good people on both sides, but we find I think they find themselves doing small things that, individually isn't what's broken about Washington, but if you have 500 elected officials all doing small things that are destructive, it adds up to a broken Washington. Mm -hmm. So I hear some of my colleagues who I know are good people, who I have good relationships with, we work together, and then I see them stand up on the floor and say, the Republicans are this and this and this, and or the Democrats this and this, and this bill is broken because the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And I just hear that language of tribalism Mm -hmm. that is those are loud voices those are loud voices and in the individual maybe that's not enough to break it but if everybody's doing that and the message we're sending to our constituents is the other side is bad and evil and they hate america Mm -hmm. and our side is always good and always loves america we break the system it's Mm -hmm. small acts of aggression that in the individual maybe aren't that big of a deal but in the aggregate is is what breaks it. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I've said is I will never use tribal language. You know, I'm not going to use that language of Democrats or Republicans. And, and there are going to be times when I disagree, but I'll always state that person's name. Mm-hmm. You know, disagreement's okay. Right, we right. want to disagree. We don't need less disagreement. We need better disagreement. So I can say, Representative A, I disagree with your position, and here's why. But always individualize it and not tribalize it. And the second thing is, is always give your colleagues the benefit of the doubt that their intentions are pure. Mm. Never, It's never because you are a racist, you are anti-American, you are... When you go to a personal attack on somebody's intentions, that breaks it. Mm-hmm. And it's small acts of that over time multiplied by 500 elected officials plus the media and that that mm-hmm. breaks it. So if you can individualize it, 
on a political point or a philosophical point, not on a character trait, that can elevate our, our disagreements to mm -hmm. be healthier and more constructive and to say, I disagree with you, Representative A, because I think you're missing. What you're not seeing is that this problem right here, and you, you can't forget this. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that can help to fix it. So that's, you know, I think part of why I'm there, this is why I've been successful as a Democrat in a conservative state like Utah. It's always recognizing the dignity of the individual and their and their motivations for serving mm -hmm. and, and giving them the benefit of the doubt that their motivations are the same as mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, and ultimately listening with an ear to then find agreement. So one story, and I, I think I've shared this with you before since this story happened, but I remember it's one of my favorite stories about you. And it, you know, it's something I've kind of remembered as both of us have gotten older and I've kind of watched you in your career and doing different things that you do. And, and so I think I was newly married and you would have been, I don't know, like graduating high school or something like that. And you came by our apartment and I was home. My husband wasn't home at the time and I was home and you and I were just kind of talking as I was like fixing dinner. And, and you mentioned, I remember you sitting kind of up on the counter and talking to me and, and you said that one of the things that you thought I was lucky as a girl, right, is that when I got married, I didn't have to keep my maiden name and I got to change my name. And that as a male, you like this, the tradition, right, is that you keep your surname. And you were just saying, like, I don't really have a lot of pride in my surname. Do you remember this? Mm. And uh, you said... Because of our dad. And, yeah, because yeah. of our dad. And and it's not like McAdams is a super popular name, right? Like, I mean, now there's like Rachel McAdams and a few other. But at the time, like, we were the only ones in the phone book, right? And I remember both you and I had done, we were kind of talking about this. Both of you and I were like, okay, so if, if it's not there with our dad, like, let's look back further and find kind of the pride in the name, right? Nothing against McAdams out there in the country, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the origins weren't all that great either. Like there was some horse thieving and, you know, escaping the law, different things yeah. like that. And so we were just kind of like, oh, okay, great, right? And, and I remember you saying, like, I guess if I can't change it, like just get a different last name, right? Have a different surname, then I've got to bring honor to it. If it starts with me, you're the oldest boy in our family. We have three girls, three boys. You were the oldest boy. And you said, if I have to change it by bringing honor to it, then that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, I mean, at the time you're like 19, right? And so, and I was like 24. So I was kind of like, good on you, go do that. And I remember several years later, you were student body president, I think at the University of Utah. I went out to get my newspaper out of the driveway and like you were there kind of on the front page picture of you sitting on the Capitol steps in Utah. I flashed back to that memory of you saying that in my kitchen and I was like, good for you, right? I will say, I think all of my brothers have brought honor to the mm -hmm. McAdams name and that the grandkids, their kids, my kids don't feel the way that we did about our surname. And so I think you also, I've watched you with that, like kind of take that charge that you gave yourself and do something with that, right? And, and as we're talking about politics and kind of saying like politics isn't a bad thing, like so many of us are fed up with politics and we have to kind of remind ourselves like politics is not a bad thing, right? It's the process of coming together and organizing how we live in communities. And that's a good thing. And if we look to our leaders to do that, right? If we hold them accountable to doing that, then we can start to reclaim politics as something that is working. I guess the irony is 
you know, when you go into politics, a lot of people don't like you. <laughs> they too, smear so, your name, yeah. right? <laughs> so hopefully my kids have some, at least some pride in the name. But I think that's always something that's been important to me is to be able to look myself in the mirror and be proud of, of what I do and the decisions I make mm-hmm. and the service that I give. But I think public service can be a noble thing and giving back to our community. And, and I would like to think that I've served in a way and continue to serve in a way that elevates the notion of public service. I think maybe that's a little bit about what's wrong with Washington too, is um, we're always tearing each other down. It's no mm-hmm. wonder Congress has an approval rating that's lower than the flu, you know? Right. And uh, it's because we spend so much time and money in campaigns of tearing down the institution tearing down the, the country that we love and the institution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look, I think there's a lot of blame to be laid at the Congress and mm-hmm. at Washington, but we can change that. We have to change that. Or, you know, or I don't know where, where we go if we don't figure mm-hmm. out how to fix that and, and to change that. So, yeah, I think that it is the process. It's, it's an adversarial process by design. It's a process that has helped us to cure diseases. It's, you know, sent put humans on the moon we'll put humans Mm -hmm. on mars it's an incredible system that has created prosperity and health and quality of life for humanity Mm -hmm. across the globe it's a system that's been copied by hundreds of countries around the globe to give people freedom of thought freedom of religion freedom uh, to be true to yourself and safety and you know peace and prosperity there's something to be proud of with that, and I think that's right. I think that's that's the system we have. We've got a little bit of some sickness right now, but but I think um, it is something that we can be proud of. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for your time. Thank you. The Legal Stuff. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. The Prayer of the Perfectionist. Nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Help me to remember the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.